to When We Speak, where we shed stigmas, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves, and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. This is a podcast where I am blending the intersections of race, gender, sexuality, faith, and trauma. If there is a topic that most people say we're not supposed to talk about, I'm talking about it because that is how we heal. We don't heal in silence. We heal by speaking out. So today we're talking to Michelle Johnson. She's a physician's assistant. I found Michelle because we were, we found each other in the podcasting world on social media. I really wanted somebody that would speak to pain and how you how you thrive in spite of a diagnosis or or physical limitations. I couldn't think of a more perfect guest now that she and I have talked and connected really on a spiritual level. She's an amazing person. And uh, Michelle, if you would just kind of, however your bio comes to you, just kind of introduce yourself to listeners. Absolutely. So first of all, good morning. It is so amazing to be with another woman of color talking about issues that affect us. And so um, when you mentioned my journey of chronic pain, it's not Of course, my identity, it's a part of my story. Just like all of us, we have this whole complex life that we weave, and that's just part of my story. But when you mentioned thriving, I think that it's our responsibility to thrive in our life. So whatever challenge we got coming at us, it's our responsibility to say, okay, this is what was given to me to manage. And it's how I'm going to go after living my life responsibly. So that's all I did. That's it. I love it. Thank you. You sent me your book. I read it quickly, highlighted the majority <laughs> of it. Because I I think I told you before, I'm thinking of so many people that I know, but it's to me, it's a book, even though it's about living pain free, it's really it's written in such a way that that there's so much knowledge in there about living holistically that it really could be for any condition or for any body, even if it's not, you know, related to a medical condition. Oh, I Um, love that. Thank you. Yeah. So the book is Pain Free, How to Live a Full Life Despite Chronic Pain. And my thought process was, you know, I've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia for 20 years, almost. And I've had so many patients that have this condition that condition. We can put a label or a diagnosis on anything, right? But you still have to live. You still have to figure out what it is that you were put here for, right? And so that's where the book was born from. They say that about 77% of the reason that people come to the doctor is for stress exacerbated and stress-related illness. And so what I started to see was not only my own journey with stress and pain management were very intertwined, but so many of the things that people talk to me about, whether it be depression and anxiety, like you talk with with your therapist or, you know, diabetes, cholesterol, high blood pressure, like all these things have that component. And so whatever your pain, like you say, it, it relates to a lot of different people, whatever it is that ails you, there is a way to go after living your life. So I appreciate you reading the book and kind of yeah. putting it out there it 
I haven't really been promoting the book because it, it's just kind of my story. I figure, you know, yeah. hey, if you want to read it, you can read it. But I, I agree that there are some good jewels in there. There really are. And I've written down several that I think are just amazing. Michelle, you talked at the beginning about your journey, learning about uh, Chinese medicine. Could you could you kind of talk about how you were introduced to Chinese medicine and kind of what your takeaway was from that? Oh, so, um, I had the opportunity in 2010, actually. I was still in undergraduate school as a 31-year-old wife and mom who had returned to school. And I was doing so well in school. You know, you, you when you go back to school, you hustling. So I was really trying to do a good job. And because of my grades, I was inducted into this National Honor Society. And the Honor Society had this opportunity to pick uh, the top 15% of the class to go to either China or Australia to learn more about medicine. And interestingly enough, I had no money, right? So I'm thinking, (laughs) well, I'm just going to go on faith. Somebody going to help me get here to China. So I picked China because it was a longer experience. I had no idea of the richness that I would learn in their medical system. Can I tell you, these people took us around to a uh, hospital out in the country. They took us to an Eastern and Western Medicine University, and they took us to the street vendors who did um, medicinal things that they sold on the street. I was so enamored with just the different ways to practice healing that are so much older than Western medicine, so much more um, holistic than anything we have a study or evidence-based model for. So it was it was life-changing to, to meet people who were on that whole holistic journey way back in 2010, when we maybe weren't talking about that here in the United States. And now we're starting to, to learn more and more from Eastern medicine. So Chinese Traditional medicine, even when I went to Cuba, was such a huge part of the journey. I didn't learn how to practice traditional Chinese medicine. Don't get me wrong, y'all. But (laughs) I did get an experience of, hey, there's so much more than what I'm learning in my textbook. From my reading, you were attending Duke University? Yes, that was where I attended for my master's to become a PA. Yes, I was like, my goodness. A Duke grad, you go ahead. You just go ahead. (laughs) You doing it. (laughs) Not just any school. (laughs) And this is how divine things work, right? I had no intentions on going to Duke University. I didn't know that they had a PA school, but they had the number one PA school in the nation. And I didn't know that. What I knew was... (laughs) A, a young lady at my job had went to apply for PA school and she was turned down and I thought she was fantastic. So I got to figure out how I can get beef up my resume. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, Duke happened. My husband and I happened to be thinking we need to move to a warmer climate. Chicago is just too cold. I was having a lot of pain issues. And we looked at North Carolina because so many people had lived relocated there. And it turns out, hey, Duke University is in North Carolina. They have the number one school in the nation. And I was like, okay, well, I'll apply. Not thinking I would get in, but thinking I want to make sure I put my application in as many places Mm -hmm. as possible. And it turns out that they were the first ones to ask me to come for an interview which was very fortuitous because my father actually passed away the night after my Duke interview. Oh, geez. And I ended up not interviewing at any other schools. Mm. So it was definitely fate and divine intervention that I got the interview there so quickly because six days after my interview, they let me know that I was accepted. Wow. 
That's amazing. Daddy was up there looking out. He said, yes. baby, if this is the only interview you're going to go on, we're going to make sure this was a good get one. In. So. Yes, yes, yes. And so in your book, you do talk about, um, well, you put this quote in there that, that says more than the pain, it's you're battling also other people. I don't know if it's, it's a quote or if it's, I can't remember. But can you yeah, speak to battling other people while you're also dealing with chronic pain? Absolutely. Um, there is a term that's coined. I didn't make this term. It's out there in the community. It's called invisible illness. Mm-hmm. A lot of time what's happening is you look fine on the outside and there's this war going on. In, and so I'm, t- I'm speaking to my folks, okay? Mm-hmm. My spoonies, my people with lupus, multiple sclerosis, fibromyalgia, chronic regional pain syndrome, all these things that you look like you can still go out and party. You look fine Mm -hmm. and you have this thing going on inside. Mm -hmm. And so there are stupid things that people say. You look too young to be in pain. You just need to get some sleep. Have you tried that? Um, I have this remedy. You know, (laughs) Many of us have tried so many things by the time we get to you (laughs) that the things that you're saying, it it is coming out of a spirit of love, right? And maybe you can relate to this. If you've ever had anyone close to you pass away, people say the dumbest things when you're grieving. They'll say things like, you know, oh, so-and-so's in a better place. You don't really want to hear that right now. Right. You don't really want to hear that. But that's what I mean by you battle other people is that people don't understand what it's like to be in pain every single day, uh, every single moment that you don't get a break. People think about pain as a temporary situation when you break something or you're in the hospital. There's a period of time and it's over. So I just think people are not educated about chronic pain. And so they they oh, uh, I hope you feel better. And you're like, no, not going to feel better. (laughs) But people just don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean by you battle other people. And it's an educational thing, right? It's a coming from a place of support because there's a lot of things in this world that we will never experience that we have to be there for our friends. Oh, that's so true. Knowing how to be there, even if it's something that you don't have personal experience with, I always talk about holding space, knowing how to hold space for people. I guess we should have covered this as the first question, but your experience 20 plus years with chronic pain, can you kind of paint a picture or just kind of describe when you're dealing with chronic pain, what are some of the symptoms? What does it look like to wake up, to go to bed, to have these sudden um, experiences of, of just your body kind of, I don't know what, in my mind, it just kind of attacks you, something, you know, and, and it limits you. So if you can just kind of describe what that pain feels like or looks like to you. Absolutely. And I love that we're going so deep into all of the parts of a story, right? Um, there's painful parts, there's joyous parts, there's, um, we all have a story. And I say that because this is just my story. That's right. I don't mean to be a cover for everyone in chronic pain or everyone who has gone through something. But as far as my story, um, it 
my chronic pain started when I was a child. I didn't know that I was having chronic pain. I didn't know that the trauma response for some of the things that maybe I was going through was a resort to my body being in pain. Like, you know, when you first get your menses as a young woman, you know, you start getting your periods. I would spend two days throwing up. I would sleep by the toilet with a blanket. Right. So those were issues of chronic pain. But I was diagnosed when I was 23 years old after trying to push through to be a dancer in my church. I was uh, rehearsing every day. And what started to happen was my body started to give up. I would be so tired that I would fall asleep between the stop signs going to work. And um, I was starting to crawl to the bathroom in the morning because my legs just would not work when I was trying to get up and go pee, which is an urgent thing. You can't wait for your legs to work. <laughs> but that experience for me was I had been to doctors. I had been to places where they had drawn my blood and told me everything is fine. There's nothing wrong with you. So even though sometimes when I was driving, I would have to pull over because I would get these sharp pains in my pelvis. Nobody could explain why I was doubled over in pain. I would have a baseline pain level in my legs that would I would just have burning in my feet. I worked downtown Chicago. So um when I would get to work, just take off my shoes and sit them by a heater or put on some footies around the job um, to be able to manage. So what you do a lot of times when you're dealing with something that's always there is your body learns a new normal. It learns to cope with whatever it is you have to deal with. And so I had to work my eight hour day. I would tell my boss, okay, on my nap, on my lunchtime, I need to take a nap. I need to have a heater by my desk. I need to be able to wear footies. And because, you know, you, you're an overachiever a lot of times when you're, you know, trying to battle stuff. And so I was really good at my job. You know, they knew I was good. So if you can make these accommodations for me, I could be even better. Right. So I would get my work done in two hours. It was an eight hour day. But I would try to get everything done so that I could be OK for the rest right. of the day. Mm-hmm. And then I'll get home and I'll crash. So family may not understand, you know, why you can't stay on the phone with them or go to certain parties or I just couldn't. I couldn't get out the bed. All I could do was work. As a black woman, and I know you're a black woman as well. Oftentimes we experience, I know I have had my share of misdiagnosis or being discounted um, and not taking as seriously and, you know, by my primary care managers and just, you know, nurses and, and whatnot, just that's a whole other conversation of, of, of how Black people are treated in the healthcare system. Did you ever experience bias or racism or just any of that or, or just kind of just not being taken seriously? Even Baby, how much time you got? How much? Yeah. <laughs> how much time you got? Yeah. Um, absolutely. I, I, and I don't mean that in a, as a joke, but as it. a patient, Mm-hmm. I think that, yes, I saw about eight doctors before the before there was something abnormal in my blood work to make someone take notice. I have been told that I'm mentally ill because of my pain diagnosis, that I am lazy um, and maybe need to get a hobby, that maybe it's from my traumatic childhood, um, which 
I actually had a pretty darn good childhood. Um, there were some traumatic things that happened, but I had an incredible childhood. So the the bias or the thought process of maybe reaching a little bit was definitely true. Um, even in my medical training, you know, you have people who don't want to see you because of the color of your skin. They don't want you to touch them. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely mm-hmm. bias in the medical system. And I tell my patients that I work with, uh, I work with a group of black community folks in stress management in my other role as a coach. And I always say, you know, to be armed with how to do a doctor's visit is very helpful because you need to know not only that the person that you're seeing may have bias, you need to know how to stay out of the healthcare system so that you can do as much as you can on your own because it is a biased system. And you need to know what things they're looking for so that you ask appropriate questions, questions appropriately so that you can get to the answers that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say even amongst people who look like me, there can be issues with bias. Mm-hmm. Um, I recently had an illness. Well, I'm still kind of working through this where I'm undiagnosed. Um, I lost 45 pounds in five months and the doctors don't know why. Um, there's some malnourishment, some anemia, some things that, you know, holistically I'm working on to do my part, but my doctors don't know what's wrong. And I remember seeing a GI specialist and feeling this small. I got my fingers about an inch apart, y'all. This small, um, after speaking with him as a medical professional, him still not taking me seriously. And with a weight loss of 45 pounds and a father who died of stomach cancer at age 54, a grandfather who died of stomach cancer, you should be taking this serious. Or maybe it's COVID was what I got. So you have to be persistent as a Black person in the medical uh, complex. I have seen several doctors now. I had to go see a doctor that was listening to me. And sometimes that's not a doctor. Sometimes that's your PA. Sometimes that's a holistic practitioner. Sometimes that's your behavioral health professional because you need somebody who's going to be in it to advocate with you, whether that's a family member who is well-versed in the med- You need somebody to help you because when you're sick, you can't be the one that's doing all the work. Everything you just say, it resonates. I just had a, a medical experience and mm. the, the medical professional, the doctor, discounted it. I said, I, 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 are there other tests you can recommend? No, no, no. What you, you know, you'll, you'll be fine. There's, there's no reason for that. And, and, and you'll, you'll be okay. And I explained my symptoms. I come from the quality risk management, patient safety side of, you know, healthcare where Mm. every day I dealt with and investigated medical errors, misdiagnosis, you know, adverse events that happen. And, and so I go in already with anxiety thinking, I don't want to be a near miss or I don't want to even be the next medical Mm. error. So, so I go in with my questions and even then it's, it's just shocking how you can be discounted just like that. And you, and I'm like, I'm a professional, I'm educated. Like, Mm. and just like that. And just like, you just put your, like walking out, feeling this small, like I'm nothing. Um, baby and Tasha can I just hold a space right quick while we're talking about holding a space thank you for sharing with us your experience and 
just to balance out that that thought because I feel that I I hear you that listen you know your body mm-hmm. better than anybody so when you feel there is something wrong keep going until you get satisfied that's it that's it. That's it. Now, I'm not saying you need to run up $50,000 worth of tests. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying keep going till you get your answer. Even if your answer is, Michelle, I got chronic stress in my body. I've been dealing with for 15 years. And this is what breakdown came in. Mm-hmm. Okay. But keep going till you get your answer. That's it. That's it. So in your book, you talk about what you lose when you found out that your your pain would be chronic. But what I also noticed in your own journey, literally, like you you didn't let it stop you. It's not like you got the diagnosis and you just stopped living, you stopped dreaming, you stopped working towards towards your goals. You literally and I wrote in the margins, you didn't stop. And can you speak to what you lost in, you know, in, 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 you know, just this battle of, of dealing with chronic pain and medical issues, but then also what you gained along the way and yeah. What kept you going? Wow. Thank you for that question. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think, you know, especially us as black women, we get this label of strong mm-hmm. and so many of us are learning that that's a myth. Mm-hmm. Um, I had this this idea that I, I definitely had times when I had to stop. So I don't want to give the impression that you know it was always keep going, keep going, keep going, because because we already labeled strong. Mm-hmm. But what what would happen is I would have these hard things happen, but I would always have something to provide a light that, hey, if you just go in this direction, there's something here. Mm-hmm. So when I lost, what I lost, I lost um, the ability to dance every day, which is what I was doing at the time when I was diagnosed. I was told by my doctor that you cannot continue to dance because what was happening is my CK levels, which is an enzyme that's released when your muscle breaks down, was in the three to four times normal range. So um, for instance, if it was supposed to be 100, I was getting like 900 sometimes on the CK level. And so my muscles were breaking down and that makes lactic acid. Mm -hmm. And so I would be in more pain. And so I decided, oh, even though I was, you know, doing all these great things with the church and traveling and I got a chance to dance while Michael Jackson and Prince danced that um, I won't be able to do this anymore. So I did lose that. I lost um, the ability to plan my day because my body would plan my day for me. I lost the ability to um, be spontaneous with hanging out with friends, a lot of times I had to cancel. And as a young person, um, that can be a little tough. People don't necessarily understand 
um, with your older friends, when we start getting our 40s and 50s, we all understand if your hip kind of hurt a little bit, <laughs> you don't want to go out. But back then, it was kind of like, girl, what you mean? I want to go out. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I lost some things. But remember, I had been in pain since I was a teenager. So to have an answer, to have a diagnosis, to have a label, to know that other people went through this too, was actually sort of comforting. The other thing you lose when you kind of uh, get a diagnosis is you lose some time because they, they got you in all these appointments, right? So I was going to physical therapy three times a week. Um, I would leave physical therapy in more pain than when I came. And so that took up most of the five days of my week between work and physical therapy. Mm. Um, but what I gained, man, what I gained is incredible perspective. As a 23-year-old diagnosed with a chronic illness, kind of going through this cycle of doctor's appointments and physical therapy and, and work, is that I learned how to navigate what is important. My relationships are important. My family is important. I have an incredible family. I'm an only child of my mom and dad, but like I have 85 cousins. My mom is one of 12 kids. Like it's, it's amazing. I have a huge family. And so having that, oh, when I need a ride, there's someone upstairs that can take me somewhere or, you know, I need to call on so-and-so. I gained a lot of perspective about how to lean on a village how to build a community of support around you. Because some of us don't have family, right? So you have to create family along the way. And as I started to move and, and do things with my career, I started to move farther and farther away from family. So I had to learn how to build networks of people who would, you know, be my babysitter or, you know, help me on a day when I'm having incredible pain to be able to talk with my doctors. Mm -hmm. And so I've gained an incredible network. I've gained skills on how to, not be the strong one all the time. I gained um, some incredible friends. Like if I could just break down all the incredible people that I've met, that is really the secret to the success in my life is that other people have loved on me. I'm so glad you brought that up because <laughs> that I, I wrote that down. And again, in referencing your book, you talk about relationships, you talk about support systems, you talk about, uh, you got a whole section on finding your tribe. Yes. Mm -hmm. You got to find your tribe. Because listen, there are people out here that will bring you down. There are people who are committed to the struggle, right? Um, we can get a diagnosis. You mentioned keep going. We can get a diagnosis and stop because now you have an answer for that pain or an answer or a label or and you can read all on Google about all the symptoms that's going to come and you can condemn your life that way. And you have whole support groups of people online who will keep you in that place. Mm -hmm. I mean, the negativity is real. What I would notice on some of the forums and stuff, and this is way back in, gosh, guys, I was diagnosed 20 years ago, but I mean, the online forums, well, how are you crying? Because people be in such dismal situations, it's like, dang, I ain't, I ain't quite that bad. I don't want to go that way. <laughs> You're laughing at me. But uh, I'm laughing. I identify with it so much. Like, you my go online to, to get support. And my experience isn't for anybody else that's listening. But my experience was when I was diagnosed with something and and. So I joined some Facebook groups that related that for people that had the same diagnosis. And what I found was it was 24, 24, seven 
This is all they talked about was the diagnosis, the pain, the sadness, the depression. And it was so, I mean, it was so depressing. I'm already depressed. I'm already going through right. it, but there was no uplifting. There was, there was nothing there that would bring me up. It only brought me down. And so I had to delete myself from those groups because it affected my mental and emotional. I'm taking in Baby. their stuff as well, as well as my own. That You identify with me. Baby. Oh, child. You'd be like. Oh, so you really have to get around people who are where you're trying to go, right? Can you say that again, please. You you have to get around people who are where you're trying to go. Listen, I have met in the rare disease community. I met this woman who is on IV nutrition. She got a oxygen thing in her nose. She's riding around on a scooter. This woman going to advocate in the hospitals and talking with people with her rare, she has like three or four illnesses, but she keeps going. Them the kind of people I want to be around. I am not in a scooter. I do not have, uh, now, sometimes I do need mobility aids. And then people look at you funny too, because yesterday you was walking and now you need a mobility aid. But I, I mentioned that because there are people out there who have things going on who are doing so much more in this world. You have no excuse. There's something you were put here for. So whatever that illness is, whatever that ailment is, whatever that challenge is, because we all get a challenge. Some of us get 10, some of us get 20. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Whatever it is, that was meant for you to be the person to manage it and have a testimony to jump off of it from. You never know what part of your, your test is the testimony for somebody else. Along with that, finding your tribe, sometimes we neglect to acknowledge or even address our physical environment. And you speak about this in your book. So can you kind of just for you describe, like I under, as a mental health therapist, I, I talk all the time about paying attention to your physical, oftentimes the physical environment is really, a, a <laughs> it's, it's giving others, it's, it's, if you're really paying attention, it's, it's showing you oh, this is how I feel about myself or this is what I'm going through in my life. When you look around your home, it's like, oh, I'm really suffering. I'm really going through it. <laughs> can, can you talk about your physical Absolutely. environment and, and the importance of, of paying attention to that? So as I grow and learn about what makes up our environment, there's so much to that, right? There is... Things in our home, like, you know, are there rugs, are there cords that are all over the place that I could trip over, you know, little things like that. Mm -hmm. But also, I'm, I like to minimize in order to feel safe. When there's too much clutter in a place, I don't feel like I can be productive. Now, I'm in pain a lot, so I can't be cleaning up all the time. <laughs> so you may need help with that if that's your disposition sometimes there are things that can get us hung up about our physical environment like if we're trying to be a neat freak and it ain't even that serious you know you don't need that that uh, baseboard to be bleached <laughs> but you know but some of us have that mentality so that's a part of our physical environment too 
I know this for me, getting outside in nature is a big deal. So getting out on my front porch or my, my enclosed back porch is a big deal to make me feel as part of the environment. Another thing about my environment is I don't watch the news. The news is traumatic for me. And it, it says the same thing over and over again. It, if you miss a week, you're probably going to see the same thing next week. So I'm just saying your environment is a holistic place. It's what you're letting into your life. It's what's around you. I used to, um, I like to listen to nature sounds. That's part of my environment. When I can't get outside, I listen to nature sounds. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that was, that's perfect. You also talk about a part of the journey for you was going to therapy. Absolutely. Can you share why it's important to kind of reach out and, and, and go to therapy or what that, that was like for you? I've had several experiences with therapists. When I was first diagnosed and I was working on a job, you know how they have the EAP, uh, yep. Employee Assistance Program? Mm-hmm. Uh, someone had said, you know, you should use the Employee Assistance Program because it'll help you with your FMLA, which was a family medical leave act for when you're ill on the job. If you've been there for a while, you can, the federal government gives you leave for certain things. And so I went to a psychologist through the employee assistance program. This was a white woman who initially diagnosed me with possible bipolar. The one thing she had right about me let me start there. The one thing she had right about me is I need to leave that job. <laughs> she was like, this job is causing you stress. You need to leave this place. They caused me trouble. I was in so much pain. I couldn't work more than two days a week. But she wanted to label me with bipolarism. I don't even know why at this point as a medical profession. I don't know where that came from. But what I did, what that did, because I had been to psychiatrists and psychologists before but what it did was make me realize there's a difference when you pick your psychiatrist and your therapist so after I got away from this woman through the EAP program I sought out a black woman therapist Uh the difference that it makes to be in the presence of someone who understands things that you don't have to explain Uh you can get right to the work Because there's not this whole barrier of explaining what it means to be Black in America, explaining what it means to be a woman, the differences in the way that you're treated. We don't have to explain all that. That's already known. So we could get right to the meat of the issues and she could ask me the hard questions because she knows a place of reference. So that was really, really important for me. And I noticed everywhere that I've lived, because I've lived now in four states, (laughs) and I always seek out a Black woman therapist. I have two right now. One for uh, me and my husband when we decided to go couples therapy and then one for me. And the thing that I love about therapy is that you get an opportunity to let someone else guide you and hold you and hold that space. You don't have to be strong. You can just be. And um, whatever comes up and comes out can be addressed from that point. You don't have to you don't have to do anything. You just have to be. And so I appreciate therapy and therapy has been a great base for me. I've been on medication 
for psychiatric reasons before I've been in therapy and I've had coaching and all of the modalities have been helpful for me at different points. I feel like Mm -hmm. every coach needs a coach. I feel like um, therapy is an integral part of life um, because who, who has all the answers? Like who came out here with all the answers? You need people. Ain't ain't nobody, no Island. (laughs) We got to help each other out. So that's my take. Oh, I love it. I love it. The, uh, first of all, I just, my heart gets so happy when I hear people talk about that they've been in therapy or the benefits of therapy. And especially if that person is a black person, because therapy was not created for us. Absolutely and, not. And oftentimes because of of all of the race issues, racism, white supremacy, we didn't even feel comfortable going and talking to somebody about our issues. So, so, so we just dealt with it in the home or in our church to our detriment. And now we're living in a time in which we can get therapy in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. So virtually telemedicine, yes. all good. Yes. All, People doing it via text. You know, you've got these companies where you can email your therapist. You can you can talk on the phone. You can do it via Zoom, like you said, teletherapy. Um, you can do it in person. You can do it um, walk and talk therapy. There's so many ways. We're not being denied anymore. We can get the help we need. And like you said, we're not, we're not living an we're not living on an island. Like get help, get support. I love that. It just makes my heart happy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so there's there's a couple of other things that you mentioned that were beneficial for you. And I'm hesitant to mention all the things because I really want people to get your book. I really want people to get the book because <laughs> even if you're not dealing with chronic pain, when you're just talking about, again, like I said at the beginning of the interview, holistically. I'm a woman that I believe if you want to get healing, if you want to get help, if you want to make your life better, you have to subscribe. Do try all the things. If it resonates with you, try all the things. So you talk about, you know, we've talked about environment therapy, support system, challenging your own beliefs about what you can and can't do. Focusing Mm -hmm. on the things that you can do. Right. Right. Um, decreasing negativity in your life, negativity in all spaces. You also talk about food and the impact on physical health. And even as I wrote my notes down on that, I could just imagine the faces of people that kind of cringe at, oh, you mean I have to change my diet? (laughs) But what we impacts how we feel. So if you can speak a little bit to, to that as it relates to your experience. Food is my biggest challenge, but garbage in, garbage out. What we put in our body, what that's part of our environment, right? It's the environment that we're creating inside of us. So what we put in, it has to do something and it has to come out, right? So either it is going to be absorbed by the cells and used for energy, or it's going to be excreted as waste. And what I'm learning and what's been really helpful for me as I talk to my gurus and my coworkers and people who have made a lot of food changes. I have a, a nutritionist friend. I have a functional medicine. Like I have so many good friends in the nutrition realm because I almost fail nutrition. I mean, they give you what, uh, a week 
a nutrition and medical training. I, I had one test and I almost failed it. Like nutrition is tough. It's a science all in itself. And so learning these things and learning what works with your body and your particular inflammatory illness or what's going on with you can be a challenge. But what I'm learning is the more that I put in the good stuff, it crowds out the bad stuff. So things that influence my energy, influence nourishment are what I'm going after. Food can be like an obsession. People have an addiction to food. Food is a stress reliever. Two thirds of us eat to relieve our stress. One third of us stop eating. I'm on the stop eating side. But um, it's integrally related to what happens to us. People think about like diabetes and that, that stuff don't just start. <laughs> you, you have an insult with the food. Yeah. And so food is a huge deal when it comes to autoimmune illnesses, inflammatory diet. Yeah. If you want to change your life, yeah, you're going to change your food. We didn't, we weren't made to, you know, food is not entertainment. It's not a uh, comfort. Food is nourishment, like gas for the car. And so learning to look at it in a different way has been really, really helpful. You just helped me to remember my next point that I didn't write down, but I wanted to talk about it because it's important. What part does faith play? in health and well-being, mental health, emotional health? What part? Your is faith. Mm-hmm. Your faith is everything. Your faith is everything. Because listen, and, you know, not not subscribing to a particular faith in, in the sense that there, there are many ways to skin a cat. There's many ways. There's many roads to heaven is what I started to say. Because I was in part of... Um, a religious belief that was very constricting and limiting once in my life. And what can happen is we can either use our faith to serve us or use our faith to hinder us. Now, what do I mean by that? What are you putting faith in? Is it faith in a higher power to work with you to co-create your life? Is it faith in a spirit that connects all of us? Or is it faith in a punishing and judgmental God. And I bring that up because sometimes we're in this bad, good reward system with our faith. Some people have this, well, God is punishing me because I did something wrong. I'm in a, I'm in a punished state because I have this disease because I'm being punished for something that I did. And so that faith or that belief can't serve you because where can you go with it? Absolutely. How can you move forward with that? And so my faith has always been visionary. My faith is not blind, it's visionary. It is, hey, there's something that you're put here for. You're given this as a light to shine on others. So my faith is a light. My faith is visionary. My faith moves me forward. So my question would always be, if you're anything that you believe in, is it serving you? Exactly. How is it serving you? How is it feeding you? That's it. That's it. Does it make you expansive and more towards the spirit of feeling good and, and, and bringing that all within all? Or does it make you restricted and feel less than? So if it's not serving you, it's time to tweak your belief system. I just want you on the podcast again. That's all I'm going to say. I just, hey, man. <laughs> I just want you to come back. <laughs> Hey, whatever you're ready, I'm coming back. Hey, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about because we only talked about pain today. We can talk about a whole bunch of stuff. Just that topic of faith 
and 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 if your faith isn't feeding you, if you're not growing, if you're not learning how to love yourself and how to really love and accept others and, and create your life. That's it. That's it. You're part of the creation process. Mm-hmm. So if I'm a co-creator, then my faith is serving because I'm part of the process of creation. I'm so grateful. I definitely believe you and I, this is a divine, this is a divine connection right here. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. I love it. When you are in the mood to move your body and you want to dance, what kind of music are you listening to? Girl, ooh, there are so many different ones. Like, okay, so I like Mary J. Blige, uh, Fine. Have you ever seen that one? I like what I see when I'm looking at me and I'm walking past the mirror. Like that song can get me yes. going every time. Uh, all I do is win, 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 no matter no what. Matter what. <laughs> I play that in at the end of my uh, stress management class. This is graduation. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Uh, anything that got a good beat. Yes. <laughs> I'm dancing. So I love like the the Beyonce's and girl, I could do I could I can cut a rug now. Uh who or what makes you laugh? Oh my goodness, my husband and my son, my fellas are hilarious. We were laughing at my son last night, girl. That he he comes in there because I was asleep. I had took a nap and he goes, Oh, the dead has arisen. This is my my child. You mess. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Who or what inspires you? I have so many inspirations. Uh, my mom is a huge inspiration for me. Uh, my mom told me, baby, no matter what, you can always pick yourself up, brush yourself off and start all over again. That was the mantra to keep me going on some really hard days. Um, Michelle Obama, uh, <laughs> Oprah, like, I mean, there's a lot of inspiration. Lisa Nichols is a huge inspiration for me. Her coach, Susie Carter, who happens to be my coach now, a huge inspiration for me. Um, I get inspired all the time. Listening to people on Instagram, like, dang, they don't overcame what? I, I get inspired all the time. <laughs> can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Can you please mention your website and where people can find out about your book, where they can get your book. Absolutely. So um, I am The Pain-Free PA on Instagram, all one word, on Facebook at The Pain-Free PA or at Pain-Free PA. Uh, I have a group called Six Days to Self-Care Challenge. Managing my stress is managing my illness. So I put on the full armor of self-care. So that's my free Facebook group called Six Days to Self-Care. My book is called Pain-Free, How to Live a Full Life Despite Chronic Pain, available on Amazon. Real cheap, man. You email me. I send you a copy of my book. I love, I love getting the message out because there's so many, like you said, good things in there to talk about that we can, we can start off our life with. You can start changing your life right away. And my email is thepainfreepa at gmail.com. My website is www.thepainfreepa.com. Thank you so much, Michelle, for, for being my guest. Of course. We're going to do it again. Yes. We've got to do this again. Um, this was just was just great and a great way to start my morning. And so, 
Yeah. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to When We Speak. Follow me on Instagram at Tasha Hunter LCSW. If you haven't done so yet, please rate, review, and follow me on iTunes and share it on your social media. If you want a copy of my book, What Children Remember, it is available on Amazon. Until next time. Thank you.